The Mackenzie River is home waters to wild Chinook salmon. Some freshwater cephalopods. To people, to history, to rich culture. It's quiet, it's peaceful. The water is spectacularly clear. The big old trees. The Mackenzie smooth ape. The beautiful mossy gnarled stumps. The secret society of fly tires and gemsons encourage fly anglers to come here to Oregon. We certainly cared about the health of our rivers and protecting the endangered freshwater octopus. Octopi. Octopi. It was a, sort of a love affair. Water coming in is from its most pure source, right out of the earth, and disappearing right into the earth. This stuff percolated down through these lava rocks is probably as pure water, purer than it would be falling through the air. I think that the Mackenzie River, 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 river is really special. I imagine Jim's relationship with fly tying started early when he was thinking about piercing his Really getting his imagination inspired by the struggle of man with nature. This stretch of the river, it, it's spectacular. Where do we go to contemplate and study the legend of the smooth ape? We go to our favorite river <laughs> and we can sit there and, and listen to the song of the river and it, it feeds our soul. It's part of preserving the mystery of nature. Embrace your river, adopt your river, get to know your river. It's what keeps you alive. Ladies and gentlemen, how do? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, how do? Hello, all my friends across the globe. It's me, Matt, delivering another episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires. I did it. I've been crowned king of Apple's crafting or leisure slash crafts podcasting subgenre in the United States of America. It may have only been for one day, and I may have not noticed until a week after it happened, but it happened. I told you I would lay waste to the digital audio crochet world. Episode 6 with Alvin Dito helped me blitz right through shows that were standing in my way like Yarniacs, Sew and Tell, Inappropriate Quilters, The Tipsy Sewists, and Not Your Granny's Quilt Show. I lie a lot on this program, but all those names are real. <laughs> Listen, I might joke about my podcasting chart rivals, but we're in the digital talk show trenches together, ladies. I salute you and I will crush you without mercy. Enemy deserve no mercy. Actually, I'll have most likely moved my program into the sports and wilderness category by the time this episode airs to give the quilters back their charts. I made my joke point. Now I want to scooch my way into the room where all the other fishing podcasts are. This dumb interview show about people that dedicate their lives to tying materials onto hooks to imitate fish food is moving on up. I'm trying to manifest my own reality, okay? I feel like the Camp Firewood Beekeeper Radio Kid from Wet Hot American Summer most of the time I'm talking into this mic. I've got my drones working hard on a breakfast time rock fly. Hey. I need to evolve into the occult-obsessed outdoors influencer I was born to be. I don't think that's what I really want to be. I just want to make people laugh and not take this sport or hobby or whatever so seriously all the time. 
I want to meet interesting people. I want to go on adventures in the wild and mess around with slimy-ass fish and holler and high-five my friends. If I don't encounter any fish, I want to make a sweet cast one out of every ten attempts and watch cool birds, at least. So it's the ninth episode, and I'm excited about it for a couple reasons. Number one. Number one, I live in my mama house. I'm interviewing a guy I've been watching tie flies online for a long time, Jim Sens. I love his tying style, and he's a tattooed freak like me. I think we're going to hit it off. Number two. I live in my mama house. I'm focusing on the Mackenzie River just outside of Eugene, Oregon. Check this out. Not only have I never fished the Mackenzie, but I don't think I've even heard of it until I started trading DMs with Jim. So we're going to learn about it together. You and me, baby. Baby. You and me, baby. Baby. You and me, baby. 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 Or maybe I'm a big drooling idiot and you people already know about the Mackenzie River and love to fish it and are about to change the channel on your podcast stereo. Please don't do that. I'm here for you, wherever you are on God's green internet. I did my usual research, and I'd bet Jim and I have a few nuggets for you, whether the Mackenzie's your home water, or this is your introduction. Before I really get into this, I gotta say that I almost feel like I forgot how to podcast already, and I've only released eight episodes before today. I'm hitting the wrong buttons, and mumbling my words like a fool. I took some time off from writing, recording, editing, and stealing samples from YouTube because I felt so confident in the backlog of episodes I'd piled up. The next thing I knew, my confidence turned into laziness, and my pile of episodes was gone. It's all gone. I'll do my best to get my head back into the game and continue to provide embellished or purposely incorrect information while citing fake sources, just like I've been doing from the get-go. It's a talent that I've carefully curated. All right, the Mackenzie River. It's an 86-mile-long tributary of the Willamette in the state of Oregon. It originates from just above its outflow from Clear Lake on the western slope of the Cascade Mountains. It says here on bestfishinginamerica.com that the Mackenzie is easily among the most popular fishing streams in the Willamette Valley, and that it has abundant wild and hatchery trout, runs of both spring Chinook salmon and summer steelhead, and angling opportunities all year, red side rainbows being the big draw. You might even hook into a cutthroat or a bull trout. The Mackenzie also has a type of drift boat named after it. It's true. In the 1920s, Prince Helfrich and Leroy Pruitt crafted the famous Mackenzie River drift boat. They refined an open water dory for improved maneuvering in river rapids, launching a design that is still used today. The Mackenzie River drift boat is recognized by its wide, flat bottom, flared sides, flat bow, and pointed stern, just like your mom. Score one for the Mackenzie. There aren't a ton of rivers with boats named after them and made specifically for them. Jim Sens told me the Mackenzie was special and I'm already starting to believe him. Now, with a river being fairly close to some densely populated areas, you would expect access to be plentiful and easy. That doesn't appear to be the case. A lot of the Mackenzie runs through private property and bank access can be tough to come by. So, that drift boat I mentioned may be the key here. Another reason bank access is scarce is due to designated conservation areas along the upper stretches of the river. There may be limited access along the Mackenzie River Trail, but a large percentage of it is federally protected due to the locally celebrated freshwater octopus that can be found in the rocky shallows that stretch along the upper Mackenzie from Tamalich Falls through Beaver Marsh and up to Ice Cap Spring. Originally planted there by early settlers as a hopeful food source, the species unexpectedly thrived due to ideal water temps and pH levels. 
There's stories of anglers tying octopus flies that resemble the rat king of eight San Juan worms all mushed up and used to entice the hungry trout. You can even attend the Mackenzie Octopus Festival held annually every spring. The Upper Mackenzie looks like some pretty scenic terrain from behind my computer screen, just like most places where trout swim. Beautiful forested canyons and clear water await to devastate me with steelhead fishing reality until I finally find my unicorn and everything is okay again for a brief moment in this crumbling multi-dimensional simulation we pretend is our lives. It looks like most of the steelhead are caught below the Lieberg Dam in the lower section of the river, although numbers of them are said to cross Lieberg and find their way into the upper river. The first summer fish usually tend to show up in early spring, with the peak of the run in late May through June. Count me in. The upper river is mostly pocket water. The lower river settles down some, and downstream of Hayden Bridge is wider, flatter, and slower. Like your, um, never mind. You folks in Eugene must be pretty happy with yourselves. This beautiful river sounds like it has a little bit of everything for us fly anglers, including plentiful opportunities for a wide variety of fish. It's not far from town either. What flies do people use on the Mackenzie? I want to talk to Jim about the real details, but it's looking like the usual trout flies are in the picture. Blue-winged olives, pheasant tails, caddis, and the typical streamers. Bring a graboid leech or two. Ah, the leech. Jim twists up some awesome patterns that work for him on his home river, and hopefully he'll share some secrets with us. Speaking of secrets, is Eugene trying to hide the fact that the whole city is basically made of haunted graveyards? Come on already. There's Looper Pioneer Cemetery, Eugene Pioneer Cemetery, Eugene Masonic Cemetery. You might say that Eugene is probably bigger in size than three old-timey cemeteries, but I only named three of them. There are at least a hundred more. Pretty spooky. Do I even need to get into Bigfoot? It's Southern Oregon. Of course Bigfoot is out there. Even weirder? The part of Oregon that the Mackenzie flows through has their own unique slice of Bigfoot lore. In the late 1970s, a local biologist named Dr. Schneider Webb shocked the town of Nimrod, Oregon with his claims of an encounter with a completely hairless, bipedal creature that you might call a naked Bigfoot, but that would be lazy and lewd. Other sightings soon popped up, and the beast was quickly dubbed by the town folk as the Mackenzie Smooth Ape. Some of the more outlandish stories about the Mackenzie Smooth Ape go as far as claiming that Dr. Webb fell in love with the creature eventually finding a loophole in maritime law that allowed him to legally marry the smooth ape. That's obviously a, a crazy old myth. It was said that sightings often shocked people even more than the usual Sasquatch stories, mostly due to the cartoonishly large sexual organs that both male and female smooth apes were said to have. Witnessing a hairless, bipedal missing link was probably enough, but the over-the-top pornographic nature of these weird ape things shocked everyone enough to pack up and leave Nimrod for good. It still sits empty to this day, with a census-confirmed population of zero. Go check out the Welcome to Nimrod sign like everyone else that passes through and you'll see what I mean. Now that I've given you all the main historical facts about the Mackenzie River, I'm going to see what Jim has to add. He doesn't know it, but he was an early motivator for me as a fly tire, and when he's showing you how to tie a fly in a video, he has a nonchalant way of walking you through steps that worked for me and made me try things I avoided because they sounded too difficult. Jim Sens is a fly tire, an angler in the Pacific Northwest. He's a piercer. He lives on a blueberry farm. He's covered in tattoos from the top of his head to the tips of his fingers. He's a dad. He's a newlywed. He inspires me to be creative with my fly tying. And he's my guest for today's episode about the Mackenzie River. Here's my chat with Jim Sens. But I got the fly fishing and fly tying just because 
I needed something outside of the body modification world to like make me more grounded and healthy again. Okay. And this is what I found. So that's cool, man. Yeah. And that's part of really, I mean, what you're just talking about is part of what attracted me to you and your videos is, you know, seeing somebody kind of like me on the other side. I'm like, okay, all right. Like, you know, there's other folks like me doing this stuff too. And, um, yeah, that's I mean, like when I looked at you, I was like, oh, he's an old punk rocker. Like yeah. me. Oh, this makes me feel good. It's true. It's, <laughs> it's true, man. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Jim. I yeah. appreciate, appreciate you taking the time. You're slightly mysterious, like outside of tying up bugs. I wasn't able to find a whole lot of information on you, uh, online. And, um, as a talk show host, uh, it's my job to creep a little bit before I interview you. Totally. And, and uh, I know that you recently got married. Congratulations. Uh, oh, thanks. I, I know you're a dad to both human and dog. Uh, yeah. I know you pierce holes in human and fish. Yep. And I'm looking forward to learning more, dude. Um, is, this yeah. your, is, this, is this your first podcast interview? Yeah. Well, I've done other ones for the piercing community part of because I've been doing this for like 25 years. So I've done some podcasts for that type of stuff, but that it's funny how the two worlds don't really cross because they're both such small subcultures when you actually look when you're inside them it feels huge but when you look at them from the outside both piercing and fly fishing are just like subgenres of other things yeah it's just they're all such small tight communities so super niche yeah and tying even more of a niche in in fly yeah. fishing in general right yep. Yeah, um, so listeners can't see you, as this is just audio, and if they aren't familiar, I'll link to some of your tying videos in the show notes, but you're you're covered in tattoos, and pierced, and um, yeah, how did that whole, how did that whole journey start, you know, the body modification thing? Uh, it started when I turned 18, I got my first piercing, and really liked it, and like a year later, I got an, two more piercings, and after that, I got clean off of drugs and I was living in Minnesota. I was born and raised in Minnesota. So that's kind of where the fishing thing came from because fishing, okay. you all, there's 10,000, like there's mm -hmm. actually like 11,000 some odd lakes in Minnesota. So fishing is just part of the deal in Minnesota. And when I got clean, I left Minnesota and did like a road trip to Vegas. And that was the first place I saw a palm tree. And then I went to Ventura, California, got stranded there until I got a one-way ticket to move to Oahu. And I bummed around Oahu for a couple months and got a job at a piercing studio, just selling jewelry and being a counter person. And the person that was the piercer at the time, she was going to leave and open her own studio. So she kind of taught me how to do things, but then... The owner was really heavy into drugs and he just wasn't a very good person at the time. So we both decided to leave. That's where I met my daughter's mom. And we picked up and moved to Minnesota and I started moved back to Minnesota and I started piercing in a shop then. And it's just kind of been 25 years of the same thing. I've pierced all over the country and wandered all over the place on this crazy ride that I'm on. Yeah, it sounds like a journey, dude. Um, yeah for sure I was I was gonna ask you you know if you became if you were a piercer first before you know fishing and tying and stuff like that I mean those yeah. things go those things go together more than I than I thought just because of the sharp stuff involved right but, you know I like, <laughs> you know, to tell, 
I like to tell my clients when I'm piercing them, they're like, oh, what are you going to do on your days off? I was like, well, if I'm not at work putting holes in humans, I'm out trying to put holes in fish. <laughs> such, such, a, such a good dad joke, dude. Right? Yeah. They're always like, oh, you must be really good at it. I'm like, no, I'm way better at putting holes in you. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there is there like a, if somebody comes into the shop, like you're you're still actively piercing, right? That's part yeah. of your, yeah. If is, uh, if, is there some like a piercing that somebody has you want done when they come to the shop and you're just like, Oh God, why today? Like, why do I don't want to do this? It's not really the piercing at this point in my life. It's the person because people can be really weird in any customer service job, but in our world, people can not so much as anymore as it was back in the day, but it used to be a lot more, like deviance that would be into piercing. So you sure. have to deal with a lot more intimacy that you were comfortable with until you got some thick skin under your belt. Yeah. It's um, way more, way more mainstream. Yeah, totally. Now it's just like kids and stuff that I put holes in, but every once in a while you'll still run across an old timer. That's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool. I mean, I've always, I, I have a bunch of tattoos too. And, you know, um, I've always been, intrigued by the art forms you know and that you're you're participating in like a really kind of significant moment for that person you know whether totally. it's piercing or tattoo like that's a big part of their life mm -hmm. at least for them i mean they might regret it or something down the line or or whatever but it's it's a big moment for them at that time i think that's pretty cool i really like that i get to give people a positive experience through something that you generally try to avoid in life which is physical discomfort <laughs> yeah that's a good, that's a good point <laughs> uh do you um do you regret any of your tattoos do you have any bad ones like i have I, I, i've got i've got plenty of bad ones <laughs> yeah my daughter and my wife could both attest to the stupid tattoos that i have on my body oh, man. but those those over the years have become like my most favorite ones you know like oh, they're, really? they're the ones i talk about the most for sure you know and um i don't know, you know I, people get tattoos for like a meaning I don't think that was ever part of my idea. Yeah, I have some tattoos that have like a meaningful thing, but most of the time it was just a funny thing at that moment that some tattoo artist drew up. I was like, let's do it. Like totally. I have a portrait of me as a zombie on my leg. Oh, a chicken hanging from a noose below my knee. So it's like a cock that hangs below your knee. Like, <laughs> That's good. like I've, yeah, I've got, there's so yeah. many. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you dude i'm nothing against the big you know important significant meaningful tattoos that anyone wants yeah. to get um, totally. that totally just the, was the reason i got tattooed yeah <laughs> most of mine have been the same kind of thing it's like i got my buddy phil's face tattooed on my elbow because he dared me to and i came into it the next day at work you know a buddy of mine that i used to play video games with i never met him in real life but he used to kill me all the time and like they were old school call of duty games <laughs> yeah. and he says scream damn you kevin all the time and i was like i'm gonna get that tattooed on me oh, man, like, no, good. Won't. so i got it tattooed on me and i sent him a picture of it he didn't believe me so i waited a month and sent him like a healed picture of it and then he believed me that i got <laughs> kevin tattooed on my life i love it dude yeah i mean it's either just something i thought would look, look cool like a piece of art that i liked um or it's um you know it's something funny like a kind of an inside joke or or whatever yep. That's cool. We have that in common, man. I don't regret any now, but I do think that like maybe they should raise the age to like 25 or 25 or something, you know, like 
I made I, some decisions I definitely would have thought twice about a few years later, you know. I feel like I've seen a lot of people make poor decisions in their young years and being in the body modification world. But one way or another, you're going to make dumb mistakes when you're young. That's what being young is all about. Yeah. So when we get older, those dumb mistakes help shape us into the person that we are at whatever point that is. So it's just part of growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I thought recently about you know the the moment in time if my, one of my kids wants to get a tattoo at eighteen, you know, and I'm like just pick picturing the scenario, you know, like I, I don't I wouldn't be against it, you know, if they wanted to do it, but it's like I see I see what I I got my first one when I was sixteen. You know, I don't regret it, like I said, but I think there'd definitely be some other decisions, other decisions made if right. I waited. One of the first tattoos I, I got, when I was 16, and a buddy of mine and I were both on acid at the time. <laughs> Did it like stick and poke with like big oh. penny? Yeah, I got yeah. some of those. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like those. Yeah, those. But no age limit would have deterred me from doing that terrible life choice you know what i mean no and it's you... on my back so i never have to look at it uh, like my okay. cats look at it way more often than i, <laughs> I was gonna ask, i was gonna ask i've i've covered up most of those over the years uh i might have one or two poking out somewhere but yeah i guess you don't have to look at yours you wouldn't have to cover it up huh most of the, i'm sure you feel the same way when you have a lot of tattoos they all kind of just blend into one and every once in a while you'll like look at one and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that one now. <laughs> right. I know. So it's, it's funny for uh, a question you get asked a lot as somebody with tattoos. And I don't have a ton. You like, um, they always ask, like, how many do you have? Mm -hmm. you know, it's always I common. Would hours of getting tattooed instead because I've just yeah. worked on one. <laughs> I really, I, I have to think hard to count. But what, what about your ears? Do your dog? Does your dog go after your gauged ears? No. Not at all. Not <laughs> even heard, a little bit. Really, I heard that's a thing. Yeah, she likes licking uh, my wife's ears more than mine. She yeah. doesn't really lick my ears that much. She's I'm actually sleeping on the floor over there right now. My dog eats my ears just because I don't have gauged up ears. She wants to eat them. <laughs> just a thing. Yeah, yeah so, maybe mine don't taste as good as my wife's. I don't know. <laughs> so, so how did you get into fly tying? I, I understand you have some history with my, my first guest, Jonathan Farmer. Oh, yeah. I used to yeah. tie for him for a little bit with a couple of other guys. I got into it. Obviously, it was like, oh, I learned to fly fish. And then it was like that lie of we can save money by tying our own flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not really. Now I have more fly tying materials than most fly shops. Yeah. So I got into fly fishing. I was self-taught. I was by myself primarily the whole time. And uh, slowly but surely, I started meeting people that were into fly fishing and fly tying. And they just helped me figure things out i really sucked at fly tying and to start out like everybody does but uh like caddis fly one of the local fly shops has me tie flies for him now and i tie flies for a lot of the guides in oregon and yeah it's pretty yeah. cool cool yeah i was going to ask if you are if you're tying commercially or if you're if you take custom orders right now or what, what you're doing I wasn't because of everything that was going on this year with getting married and we bought this house mm -hmm. But uh, before that, I was doing a lot of orders. There was times where I was getting booked up like two months in advance and stuff. So cool. it's kind of nice that I haven't been taking as many orders lately. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but I keep thinking that eventually I'll open things up and start doing more orders again. I really like the wet flies and the steelhead flies. So I think I'd focus more in like that area. 
that's cool those are fun man I'm, yeah i'm still learning but that's kind of where i go to uh tie, i like tying you know um wet flies crawdads leeches stuff like that and it's really easy i was just joking with someone about this the other day because i hate tying dry flies it's really easy to tie a fly that goes underwater it's really hard to tie a good fly that stays above the water yeah i really don't get into it i haven't got into it at all yet i i, I just yeah. started kind of spinning some deer hair stuff for like for muddlers and stuff like that yeah you know and um yeah dry flies are intimidating and i don't fish dries a lot so i don't have that drive to to make my own really yet um that's it what's interesting really like about muddlers since you brought those up i really like how when you're tying them yourself they don't necessarily look like the ones you buy in the store and everybody that gets into doing a lot of spinning deer hair they all get like a very unique look to the head of their fly totally like everybody kind of figures out what they like and that's just how they like either super sparse or really dense or mixing colors or you know what i mean trimming it really short or really long yeah i haven't got into like i haven't i haven't even used like uh i haven't haven't gotten into using razor blades yet to like trim them up i'm really just kind of snipping them and like kind of i i could i guess they're a little rattier looking you know they're kind of wild um but I'm just starting to do that stuff and it's fun. I'm having fun with it. Your you so your your first tying gig wasn't with Jonathan. What uh was it? No, I was just tying on my own and tying mm-hmm. for Caddis. Like I was doing some of the YouTube videos for them and I still do some YouTube videos. I haven't taken as much time lately, but yeah. Yeah, I was, was doing a lot of YouTube stuff. And then one day Jonathan was talking about how he was swamped with orders and he was thinking about bringing on people. And I was like, I, I would gladly come help and tie with you. And it was a really cool life experience. That man taught me a lot of really cool stuff. And it was fun to have that like social aspect. Like we'd all just sit on like FaceTime and tie flies and talk story. And it was really cool. It was a fun experience. Did you go up to Alaska? Did you? I didn't, but uh, we did get to meet up in Washington uh for like four days and all fish together that was really fun we all kind of came instead of everybody going to alaska we all came to washington so that's where joe rudder and jordan ray were so we went there and fished for steelhead i got to watch jonathan catch a steelhead it was like his only steelhead he got while he was down there radical dude that man is so tall (laughs) (laughs) he looks like a big dude i've uh besides interviewing him i did i did one of his uh i did a class with him before i interviewed him and um yeah he seems like a big dude yeah he's so cool he's a nice guy i i saw you were out fishing was it today you were out fishing another with another person i follow sculpin army yeah courtney yeah. yeah me and him uh because i just moved out here i hadn't done a float it's from the lieberg dam down to basically my house i hadn't done that section and he'd done it and he was just gonna go swimming with his daughter and fish a little bit so i was like let's just all he brought it up he's like let's just all float and i've floated it before so he helped show me the run so now i know the run i just did it in my little one-man pontoon yeah man that way if i hit anything it wasn't a big deal looked rad yeah it was super fun so yeah you mentioned the videos that you that you did for cat's fly shop i don't know if you're still doing them um yeah i've watched a lot of them i watched i probably watched your town run the town run tutorial a hundred times like i i don't know what it is but i can't make it look like the one in your video and the one in your video but it's a it's sweet funny. it's a sweet pattern that fly is a fly that chris the owner of caddis asked me to tie for them and i'd never even heard of it and the only thing i could find about it was 
the local paper in Bend did an article on it like 10 years ago. And I found that article and just found like this little tiny crappy picture of it and kind of just winged it. So at least whatever butchered variant that I put up on YouTube is like the town run and it won't hopefully die from history. Cause I know that was a really popular fly at one point out here, you know, how flies kind of come and go out of popularity and a lot of old flies you just don't even know about anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I was going to ask if that's a pattern that you fish on the Mackenzie. Mm -hmm. No, I don't even think I've ever swung that fly. Really? I just tied it for caddis for a couple of years. I haven't even tied it in a couple of years. I bet you they'd probably like some more of those. <laughs> yeah. So but, yeah, let's, um, let's talk about the Mackenzie. I mean, that's the reason that's the, the focus of this episode and kind of the reason we set up the interview. Um, mm -hmm. You live right there, right? You you live yeah. right on the Mackenzie. Yeah. I live right on the Mackenzie. Yeah. How'd you yep. make your, how'd you uh, end up there? You heard, I heard the, the the journey, but what what was the most recent thing? Like, what? How'd you end up in in the UK? in Oregon or on the McKinsey in general? Yeah, on this blueberry farm that you're at. Oh, uh, so my wife and I got married in at the end of February, and when we got back, or even before then, I was like, "So now that we did this. I know you want to buy a house." She's like, "Yeah, we should wait until like summertime or fall or maybe next year." And I was like, "Okay, whatever." And then somehow we just like started looking for a house and then we ended up with a realtor and then <laughs> she she was on zillow all the time and then i was on and eventually she saw this place and we this is the only house that we got to look at together because we work opposite schedules so all the other houses we just got to see and we we're both like meh but then we saw this place and it was really cool but we were like there's no way we're going to get this house it was like at the peak of everybody buying everything and so she came out for an open house with her dad and her dad was like, you should get this house. And she was like, I think you're right. And so she made the offer while I was working. And two weeks later, they accepted our offer and it ended up our house. I still can't like I'm looking out this window going, I can't believe this is ours. Yeah. You guys, seem, you guys seem stoked and it looks super cool from what I've seen online. It's super rad. Cool. We have so many plans for it. We want to do a lot of farming and we want to turn, basically get rid of all the grass and make like a fairy wonderland in the front yard with maybe a little pond or something. I don't know. Sweet. We're going to figure it out, but it's yeah. going to change a lot from what it is now. Yeah. I was going to ask if you have anything besides blueberries going. Pretty much blueberries. We have blueberries, strawberries. I guess we have raspberries, tomatoes, kale, grapes. The place came with grapes too. I have a buttload of grapes. Right on. But yeah, the blueberries are definitely the main focus. It takes up like half our property. Nice. <laughs> are, you, are you guys planning to do something with the blueberries? Is that something you're thinking about? Or is it just a hobby and they're there? Yeah, at this know? point, I think it's just a hobby. We don't want to do like a you pick thing and having like strangers come onto our property sure. and yeah. get special insurance and people hurt themselves and break things. We had friends and family come out and pick berries and stuff. And yeah. We'll figure it out maybe next year. It'd be nice if we could at least make up some of it, like cover the costs of maintenance on them, but we'll see. Maybe start selling them to the local farmer's markets or something. We have to look into all that. Right now, we're pretty over-adulting. Yeah. We went from like getting married to buying a house. Now we're just and moving and dealing with learning this stuff. And yeah, we don't want to adult anymore. So next yeah. year, we'll figure that out. <laughs> you at least got like a bunch of like blueberry uh gifts, baked goods you can gift to friends and stuff like totally. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
we have so many blueberries frozen in our freezer right now. Like what, what made the McKenzie river special to you? Did, was there a moment or like a day where you're like everything clicked with you? You're like this, this place rules. The McKenzie, I think in general, anytime someone sees the McKenzie, your mind is just blown. Yeah. Because the water, especially above, like when you go the upper McKenzie up high, it's just like the bluest blue of an ocean you would see, but it's all freshwater and clear as a bell. It's like crazy beautiful how pretty the McKenzie River is. And obviously a couple of years ago, we had a major fire out here and it burnt a lot of the, but before that happened, there was, it's just all green and trees and it's, it's just a peaceful breathtaking river and the fishing is amazing on it you have steelhead you have salmon you have trout you white fish white fish are very oh, yeah. underrated there's white Love fish in, i didn't know there was white fish in there yeah, oh yeah so many white fish white fish i guess are an indicator species if the white fish population is healthy that's a good indication that the river itself is healthy because they're more delicate than trout that's that's cool. You, you know, I'm kind of mad at myself. I mean, I've, I've only really been fly fishing for like 10 years and living in Northern California the whole time. Um, so I'm not that far. You I, are. I, I really have. I don't think I had heard of it since before I talked to you, you know, I hadn't heard huh. of Mackenzie. I mean, you think of all the Oregon steelhead rivers and there's a lot you know, mm-hmm. rogue, rogue to shoot to I mean, go on forever. And I don't yep. know if that one just kind of got lost in the mix or something like that. You know, because you make your bucket list of like, oh, I got to go here. It's and, more you know, of a a salmon and trout river than it is a steelhead okay so yeah. it, the state says that there was never a wild run of steelhead on this river but that doesn't make any sense because it connects to the willamette which connects to the columbia and the columbia is such a huge you know what i mean there had to have been steelhead before that dam came in so right sure. now it's only hatchery fish for the most part on the mckenzie you'll bump into a wild one or what they call a misclipped one every once in a while but the salmon and the trout definitely take the show the red sides that are in the mckenzie are just as beautiful as the shoots in my opinion i've fished both of them in the metolius which is another beautiful river and that's like another one yeah in the deschutes and that river is amazing i don't know where i don't know where but that's another one that i just recently heard about that was everybody was like oh you gotta go you gotta Mm -hmm. go there so and that's i mean that's what this thankfully this show has been doing is introducing me to some new stuff and new people right. and new places that I got to go. Right. Dude, we have a bedroom open for you anytime. And I have a spot in my boat for you. I am going to take you up on that. I, I know your children are young, so it's hard to get away. It's true, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I want to make it up there. I, um, I don't fish that area enough for being where I live. You know, and you know, I know I have young kids and I've kind of been tied closer to home for like the last five years or so, but um I'm gonna make a trip up there. Um so what are what are your favorite patterns to tie uh for the Mackenzie? Like what are you fishing a lot? Like what what's the normal, you know, normal setup? Uh today I was fishing like a little like a Jerry French inspired sculpin pattern that I was throwing on my trout spay for just trout with Courtney and cool. that been really good i love swinging flies so if i my ideal like if i could just swing for trout or swing for steelhead all day every day i totally would yeah but i was gonna, uh, I was gonna ask you what your preferred you know your your preferred fishing method is i'm, I'm right there with you it's, it's so much fun and the trout space stuff super cool i, I yeah got a, i got a three There's... weight uh three weight 11 footer um 
not too long ago that is super smooth with scandy on it. When you're like nymphing or dry fly fishing, you always have to be paying attention to something. But when you're swinging flies, you just like chuck it out there and you just let it do its thing. And you can like look up at like I constantly was looking up at the sky or into the trees. Yeah. Like there's something just special about spay fishing that it's just different because you don't have to pay attention. The fish really does all the work. As long as you don't mess it up, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> dude, dude. I uh, we have a lot in common, man. That's it's exactly the way I feel about it. I want to be able to cast, and then like I definitely don't want to be staring at something, waiting for something to happen. I want to wander and see like a green heron, you know, flying yeah. or something like that, and yeah. like kind of drift a little bit. Um, yep. Just stop yeah. on a swing a fly for a little bit. Go down to the next run, swing a fly. Like yeah. yeah. And get excited when you get that surprise the buzz, positive you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Man, I well, I had another question of why why someone should make the McKenzie a fishing destination, but I think we've already kind of answered that one. You know, it's just magical. Yeah. Um, so what five flies that you need to have in your box um for the, for the McKenzie? Yeah. I would say for dry flies, five flies total. Well, but I'm going to skip dry flies. I would say a woolly bugger, a handful of like pheasant tail wet flies, uh, a couple sculpin patterns. And for nymphs, the 20 incher that I tie for caddis and a mega prince. If you're just going to do bobber fishing, that those two flies underneath an indicator and just pick any spot on the river and start fishing, you'll get something. Yeah, I've seen your 20, the 20 inch video. I'll have to link yeah. to that one in the notes too. That's a good, that's a good one. It's um, a are, real fly. are they, are, what about size? Like, are you fishing super small? Is it dependent on seasons or anything? Like, uh... I, I know that guys do, and there's probably going to be people that listen to this that will get mad about this. I never fish. A nymph smaller than 14. Dry flies probably smaller than 14 or 12. <laughs> cool. I, I'm not a small fly type of person. If I can't see it on my own, I don't want to. I know they're super productive and people mm -hmm. really like fishing like size 22 bling, blue wing olives, but that's just not the kind of fisherman. If they didn't want to take my size 12 nymph that went by them at Mach 12, I didn't really want to catch them anyway. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I when I need little stuff like that, I, I trade streamers over to my buddy Steve. He ties me up some some smaller nymphs. Right? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, those small things, it, it, they're just not that much fun to fish. I know that people get into them and they think that they're fun to fish, but they just trick themselves because that's all the fish <laughs> like on their river. <laughs> Man, I'm watching you. I'm watching you twist something up right now. And uh, the thing that I'm watching the most that I'm appreciating is that you're using a hair clip to hold back these materials. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a constant um, problem for me. And I have a couple little rigged things that I use too. And I don't know why I didn't take my wife's hair uh, hair clip and throw it on there. That's literally where that one yeah. came from. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> what are you tying up? What are you tying up right now? I'm just tying some graboids for my trout swinging box because fly or fall is coming soon. So I want to have some graboids in there. So talking about Jonathan Farmer. Yeah. I, I, fly. Th I thought that might've been some cracking dub. You can see all the, all yeah. the little squiggly legs popping out of there. I, I have multiple bags in very specific colors of that. And I never let myself run out. Yeah. It's great. It seems too like if I mentioned that to other people, like, a, I don't know, 
about people listening, but it seems like the folks I mentioned to hadn't haven't heard of that for some reason. Like I don't know. He, if this... I think the guy that does it just does it really small. I don't know if you've ever seen his website, but it's super. Yeah. Fly tires, fly tires dungeon, right? Yeah. yeah, I know that Jonathan sells some of it on his website as mm -hmm. well. So his website's a little bit more new age compared to the Fly Tiger Dungeon website. But man, you can order stuff and it shows up. Yeah. He doesn't mess around. Stuff's rad. Yeah. It, I use it in a lot of uh, shrimp patterns and you can use it in like clousers and stuff for bodies. And it just gives a lot of wiggle to them. It's a super great material. I'm amazed that Hairline hasn't scooped them up yet. Yeah. I like to look at Hairline as like the Amazon of the fly tying world. <laughs> Does that make sense? It does make sense, yeah. And I appreciate uh, them. Um, I was going to ask you: Are there any are there any like local resources that people can check out uh, as far as like conservation efforts for the Mackenzie? Is there a, a local Trout Unlimited chapter or anything like that? I can I can link to. Uh, there's two fly fishing clubs. Um, one is Cascade Family Fly Fishers, and the other one is like the Mackenzie Fly Fishers Guild that one is more for not more for it it leans more towards guides and old timers and then the fly fisher cascade family fly fisher one it does a lot of outreach stuff and local volunteer stuff for like the river they both do a lot they just focus their energy in different ways so cool yeah i like to link to that kind of stuff if possible yeah, um, they're see. both run by pretty old timers, so I don't know how internet they all are. They're both really good groups, and they try to do as much as they can locally. Cool. You know, I ask all my guests um, about paranormal stories, and I want to ask you if you've had any, and if you're willing to share with me, if you have anything weird. Uh, I have never experienced anything along the lines of ghosts. In my whole life at least that i've noticed um paranormal covers it all man i mean I, i've had lots of weird things happen to me in my life but it's all been from things that are living in the world <laughs> yeah i hear that i mean but yeah i mean it's to me i mean the older i get the more i, I read about this stuff and i've read about you know i'm a total um couch conspiracy reader and, yeah uh, totally you know um I think, you know, we, I joke about it with my buddies that it all always comes back full circle. Everything's, everything's connected like that, but I kind of throw, uh, you know, anything UFO, Bigfoot ghosts, anything weird under that paranormal I would know, love, category now, you know, there was one time I was up on the middle fork, of, North middle fork of the Willamette out by this town called Oak Ridge up here. It's like way up in the boonies and the sticks. I was nowhere near humans and uh i could have swore that i heard sasquatch in the woods and then i was in the river fishing and it'd been a minute or two and uh next thing i noticed i saw a mountain lion or a cougar and her two little cubs walk out of the brush right in front of me on the bank so I don't think it was Sasquatch. It was them. But I yeah. was still equally as terrified and got out of there. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah. Might be, might, be, might be more terrifying if you, yeah. if you think yeah, about it. Yeah. She would actually eat me. 
right? <laughs> yeah, those are the scariest animal encounter videos. Oh, you dude. Know. She was so peaceful, though. It was one of the most surreal moments. She just looked at me a couple times. Her kids looked at me a lot, but they oh. just kept slowly walking through the woods, minding their own business. And I took it as a hint that it was time for me to go home and the fish I was going to catch weren't worth it. You know, I, I kind of, you know, to be honest, expect all you guys, all you fishermen that are all over the place, you know, deep in the woods, in remote rivers to have more weird stuff happen. Right. But I haven't had a whole lot of luck with that question. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I guess I, you know, I hope, I hope that everybody does, but then again, they're, they're usually scary stories, I guess. So maybe I don't, maybe I'm happy that my guests aren't having paranormal <laughs> stories. I'm I all about weird stuff. You bring it on, I'm down, but I just haven't had any of those type of things happen. I, you know, I haven't had much either. I mean, I've had synchronicity stuff. That's kind of weird. I don't know, more than weird, I guess. It's just, uh, hard to explain even but um the closest thing i have is like a short ufo sighting myself and i won't go into extreme detail with it because it's kind of boring but i'll i'll say that it was close enough to kind of be unmistakable that it was something weird and my wife and i were walking our pug at the time and it was like wildly changing shapes you know like like from like a thin straight vertical line to like a perfect circle you know to like a classic disc shape like ufo kind of thing and it got close enough to us to where we were like um i don't know i, I would say it was like 100 feet over the tree line near us or so and as soon as we crossed under the tree line it was it was gone and just was just disappeared and i didn't see it disappear uh, my wife saw it just blink out though it was a short thing, but it's super weird. And, told, and it was, you know, I want to say 15 years ago. So, I mean, it totally sent me down reading about it forever. You know, I still read about it a lot and very interested in the subject. Hence why I'm asking everybody about it. I like talking about it. You remember when we were kids, how UFOs were so like, nah, they don't really exist. Only people that are easily fooled believe those things now like the government even acknowledges that ufos are a thing yeah dude as somebody who's read about it for a long time it's kind of a weird uh it's a weird stage of this this whole uh, UFO, ufo community as they call it you know like it's a weird uh time to be reading about it and be involved in i don't know i guess a little knowledgeable about the, the past of it uh, but you're right. totally right i mean besides for that i mean but being like a loon just for even entertainment it was like at the same time, we've kind of all the idea that's been there forever, pop culture wise, you know, since the 50s, like the idea of aliens in a saucer, flying saucer coming to Earth from another planet has been kind of, yeah. you know, and implanted into pop culture from from a long time ago. Weird to see it in the New York Times and talked about it on big, you know, big talk shows and stuff. And yeah, it's, it's just part of like normal now, like no one even freaks out about it anymore. Yeah, super fun. And because I don't believe the news, it's like, how am I supposed to believe what's happening at the same time? Like, like, super interested in it. You know, I don't know. Right. The world is a crazy place nowadays. Sure is, man. It's getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> Hence the reason we moved to the country. <laughs> it's, it's, sound, it's sounding better and better, dude. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I promise you I'm going to make it up there sooner than later. What's the best when's the best time to, to come up to the Mackenzie and Fish? What's what's the prime window? Well, 
summer is amazing because like i'm wearing my wet waiting pants right now like that's awesome but there's something just really cool about the winter time up here when it's rainy and it's cold and you go out in the water like summer flows on the mckinsey are like 2000 okay and when you get the winter flows they're like that four to five little over five thousand flow oh yeah those are like the magical days. You don't see a single soul on the water and you're catching just all wild fish because they haven't thrown any hatchery in any of the sections. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's 100. Yeah, their jacket. Yeah, dude, it's 105 here in Sacramento today. And, uh, well, I guess it's not 105. It's about 100. Um, but it started raining. We got like a little weird summer rain. Um, and I was sitting out on the patio with my son. My son comes up to me and goes, Daddy, Dad, you like the rain? I'm like, I don't hate it. I like, I said, told him I like fishing in the rain, and I do. Uh, mm -hmm. like fishing in the rain, like fishing in the snow. Um, yep. Something, There's something special about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure, man. And wet wading is fun too. I love summer fishing. That's great. But I think if I had to pick just one, I'd be out there in the cold. There's less people. Um, my wife sent me this you know. really interesting thing. She's Jewish. And she sent me this really interesting thing on TikTok that kind of relates back to your son asking about the water thing. Mm -hmm. And we all need water for life. We all know that. But my wife sent me this thing. What if what if water is God? Because we need the water. The water gives everything life. You know what I mean? Everything. And then you could poison the water and make that like hell. And you can, every culture has a different, view of god and they also treat water as a god i don't know it's just really i'll have to send it to you on that Instagram. is cool it really interesting that's cool dude i mean have you, have you than anything religious i've ever thought right <laughs> yeah you know there's a lot of interesting stuff there actually and um i like i like reading on those subjects there's a lot there to pick out if you can wade through the the nonsense right and the, the propaganda of it all yeah totally and you know speaking deeper on that water thing you reminded me i don't know if you've ever seen these experiments that i forget what the name of the scientist was he did these experiments with um with water and feelings right where he's uh i think it was like he was playing um audio of people arguing to where like a dish of water and um close I want to say they were video, like micro, through a microscope videotaping the reaction the water had to this type of stimulation. And the differences between um, loving affirmation, you know, violent arguments and things like that were, were apparent in like the composition of the molecules of the water or some, something that deep. I'll link to that in the show notes too. And if you're interested, I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it, but it's I love stuff like that. Yeah, me too, man. And it, it's mind blowing too, because of how much, you know, how much we're all, how much of our bodies are made up of water, how much of the world's mm -hmm. made up of water, just like you're talking about how much of an impact positivity, and, you know. Yeah, it's, it's really, I love nature. And I think nature was the original religion. Just sure. everything about survival depended on nature being nice to you that day instead of killing you <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. dude that's a that's a perfect way to wrap this up jim i love that and i um i thank you thank you for coming on the show and and thanks for providing me some some encouragement when i was just getting started with this you know um early on i started talking to you as soon as i started launching these episodes and it uh it meant a lot for me for, for you to be there and I want to come fish with you i want to be i want i can be a farmer you know 
Um, I, I'll eat your I'll eat your blueberries and whatever else yeah. you got growing up there. And like I said, I'm not that far. I'm not that far from you, so I'm going to make it happen. Um, if uh, the wife and the kids want to come up, we can always set up a tent in the yard. Oh man, old enough to enjoy. And peak blueberry season is like beginning of August when the weather is perfect for camping. Sweet so, dude, bro, oh, yeah. I would love to meet you in person and shake your hand and take you down the river sometime. Likewise, man. I would love to do it. And uh, I wish you and your family the best this year, dude. Oh, thank you. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Anytime. Okay. I think I made a new buddy. Turns out Jim and I have a lot in common, and it was a pleasure to talk to him. I feel like we didn't get super deep into fly tying or his home river, and that's going to happen in a lot of my interviews. In fact, I'm glad we have a bunch more to talk about, because that means I'll have him back on the program in the future. Getting myself to the Mackenzie is way up there on my fishing destination travel list now. I can't wait to drive to Eugene and fish with Jim. We'll have blueberries for every meal and catch thousands of fish on flies we tied together while laughing at each other's jokes. Maybe I'll even hit the Klamath on my way up there. My monologue full of ridiculous facts about the Mackenzie was a direct result of the almost constant influx of emails and direct messages I get that all say something along the lines of, You never actually provide any fly tying knowledge on your dumb show. Yeah, well I went out of my way to write a mostly fictional episode because I can't help but do what I'm told not to do. I'm sorry, I can't stop lying. I just wanted to have fun writing something different, and I've only received nice emails and messages from my new podcast friends. I love getting electronic mail. Say hello at ssftpodcast at gmail.com. You know what I don't love? Editing a podcast. It's like sitting on the bank untangling a knotted up leader that only gets more tangled the longer you try. It's like snapping your thread right before you finish spinning up a fancy, tedious composite loop over and over again. But while listening to your own voice echoing in your brain. Popping your peas and slurping and breathing heavy and slurring and mispronouncing simple words. It'll all be worth it though, because someday, I'll force you all to fast forward through so many advertisements for boner pills and mattresses and sunglasses that I'll be as rich as a pig, a big fat money hog. I'll hire a room full of robot audio editors to do my dirty work while I sit in my Calneva resort home. I'll relax in luxury, making up stupid myths about places I've never been and talking to a very expensive microphone atop a throne made of hearty reels while a servant feeds me the cereal of my choice and scrolls through TikTok for me. Nothing like it. Thank you in advance to all my loyal listeners for supporting my future lavish lifestyle. If you would actually like to support this program, I'm digitally panhandling via Cash App and the link in my show notes that says buy me a jar of power bait. Power bait, power bait. The smelliest bunch of goop you can get in one of those little jar things that it comes in. What is this stuff? Who knows? Who cares? Get it? This is a fly tying podcast, and I'm asking for money to buy scented dough bait. I'm just making it jokey because it feels dirty to ask for money. That doesn't mean I don't want your money, though, so hit that button and send it to me right now before it's too late. Or you would probably feel better about yourself by donating to one of these wonderful organizations. The Mackenzie River Trust is a nonprofit land trust formed in 1989 to protect critical habitats and scenic lands in the Mackenzie Basin. Since 2000, their service area has included the watersheds of the Long Tom, Upper Willamette, Coast and Middle Forks of the Willamette, Umpqua, Sousslaw, and coastal streams and lakes from Reedsport to Yakutsk. In 2021, they expanded their coastal services area to stretch from Reedsport North to Lincoln City and opened their first field office in Newport. Throughout their history, they've partnered with caring landowners, members, 
foundations, and partner organizations to protect forever land and water in Western Oregon. By contributing to the Mackenzie River Trust, your donation will go directly towards preserving the quality of drinking water, protecting special lands from harmful development, restoring critical habitat for endangered species, planting thousands of trees that clean the air, and securing land and water for fish, wildlife, plants, and people. Learn more at mackenzieriver.org. Cast Hope is a nonprofit organization positively impacting kids and their mentors in California and Western Nevada through free fly fishing and outdoor experiences. Through their program, clients build mentoring relationships, fly fishing skills, outdoor knowledge, sustainable practices, and personal values. Cast Hope's gift of the outdoors empowers each mentoring pair to grow closer as they participate in healthy hobbies together. Check them out at casthope.org and whichever social network you like to use. Wild Steelheaders United was established to educate and mobilize the numerous wild steelhead advocates. It's a place where anglers can become more informed about wild steelhead biology and ecology, keep abreast of policy issues, and learn about Trout Unlimited's conservation work. As demonstrated by history, it's certainly possible to rally conservation-minded steelhead anglers to weigh in on specific management decisions that threaten to eliminate something they value. But there is no precedent for advancing a proactive, sustainable policy agenda at scale through purely volunteer efforts. Chances of conservation success are greatest if we have the backing of as many individuals as possible across all the Pacific states. This is why Wild Steelheaders United is critical. Visit wildsteelheaders.org for more info. This episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires is brought to you by Eggfest, the most brutal fest in hardcore music. Eggfest is taking place next Thursday at the Old Fairgrounds, and it'll feature performances by Pig Destroyer, Hog Mutilator, Dignity Witch, The Flying Michaels, Bane, Tiny Beef, Cursed Broth, Bone Hog, Hog Pig, and many other really good bands. Get your six-day passes at www.eggfreakmusicfestival20. 19.gov before they sell out and you can't go and everybody makes fun of you forever. Please note that this is not a real advertisement and the company, brand, entity, or product mentioned in the preceding ad in no way endorses, agrees with, or knows about this podcast.